John chapter 20, we'll begin in verse 24 and then just work through the end here. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word for us tonight. I'd uh, invite for you to pray with me before we look at it together, okay? So let's pray. Uh, Father, I, uh, in many ways, I, I feel um, overwhelmed to even speak about this passage, and I feel like I'm the main hindrance to um, talking about this. So I, I just would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and distangle um, what I say, which is uh, foolish, and what you say, which is good and right. Um, so come and teach us and open up our eyes, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, an RUF intern before I was an RUF campus minister, and um, leading up to uh, seminary, which was sort of the next step that I was uh, to take, leading up to seminary, I had this thought in the back of my mind, which was, if I can get to seminary, I have this fainting suspicion that maybe they'll just tell me that Christianity is a big, complicated, and sophisticated game, and then they'll just train me on how to perpetuate it. You know, I kind of had like, if I can get behind closed doors with the spiritual elite, and they'll be honest, maybe they'll be like, okay, here's the drill. This is just a big, elaborate, sophisticated thing that we made up, and here's how, you know, here's how you can keep the thing going. I mean, I really had this sort of Doubt this nagging thought in the back of my mind is you know is this is this thing for real is this right is this true or is this just a big joke is this just a big game and 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 you know exactly what that's like as well right I mean it may not look like that for you but I'm sure you've been in a situation where you're praying and you suddenly have that self awareness and it feels like you're talking to yourself and then you feel really guilty for feeling that way you know what I mean or or for for some of you you get into conversations with uh, your friends. You're getting really serious conversations, and they're asking you really hard questions that you can't answer. And the more that you talk, not only do you sound crazy to your friend, but you sound crazy to yourself, <laughs> you know, where you're like, no, no, there's one God, but there's three persons, and they're all, the, they're all God. They're all equal in power and glory. And yet the second person of the Godhead became a human he was, he was born of a virgin, and uh, he lived a life, uh, died, but he was raised from the dead, and he's going to come back one day and renovate the entire universe. And you're just like, that sounds crazy, you know? Or, or I know for some of you, and I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, but, but for some of you, I know that you have questions and that you have doubts that are paralyzing to you. 
And I'm talking to both unbelievers and believers. Maybe things that have happened where you're like, I don't know what to do with this, and I don't know how to resolve this question, and it just feels like I can't, I can't get past it. But what I want you to see is that we are not alone, you and me, because Thomas in this story uh, is wrestling with doubt as well. I mean, here's, here's the kind of the setup for the story. Jesus has been crucified. He's been supposedly raised from the dead, and he goes and immediately meets with his disciples. Now, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there that night. He was out clubbing or getting groceries or something. And, he, and uh, I don't know. And um, Jesus meets with the disciples. And when Thomas returns, Jesus has left. So Thomas rolls up into the room and all the disciples are like, dude, we just saw Jesus. He has been raised from the dead. And Thomas is like, yeah, I'm not buying that. That sounds crazy. You know, I'm not an idiot. Y'all have fallen prey into wishful thinking and I'm not going to be duped by some absurd religious claim. And that's why he says in verse 25, he, you know, he looks at them and says, um, unless I see the nail marks um, in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. I mean, he wants proof. And the only proof that counts as you know, verifiable evidence is it has to be empirically tested. I, I want to see it. I want to you know, uh, touch it, smell it, whatever. Um, smell Jesus, yeah. <laughs> But what I want to do is for the rest of our time as we look through this passage, I want you to see that this is, this is actually a really helpful passage as it, as it kind of helps us navigate a really thorny and complicated issue. And, and I, want to do, I want to look at this by trying to answer three questions. Uh, namely, what doubt is, what faith is, and then how you can be one who believes. Okay? So we're going to look at what doubt is, what faith is, and then how you can be someone who believes. So let's just jump in. What is doubt? And I'll just tell you up front, um, this is not going to be an easily digestible, bite-sized morsel for you. This is going to require a fork and knife on your part to kind of gnaw on this. this is, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on. Leslie Newbegin, who is this author, missionary, he wrote in his book, Proper Confidence, this. This is what he said. Doubt presupposes faith. Doubt presupposes faith, meaning doubt is always resting upon faith. Here's, here's what he means. Everybody has a network of beliefs that you, that you hold to. And you don't just doubt something that you hear or you don't just doubt one of those other um, beliefs out of you know, thin air. You, you don't, it doesn't come out of nowhere. A, a doubt springs forth from something that you believe already. Uh, meaning um, you already hold to something that you believe and when something comes in that doesn't jive with that belief, that's where the doubt comes in. I think this is kind of intuitive if you think about it. I mean, look at Thomas, right? Um, somebody says, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he says, um, I'm not buying it. He doubts it. Why, though? He doubts it because underneath that doubt, he already has this belief which says, one, people don't raise from the dead. And also, uh, I'm not going to know if something is true unless I can verif- you know, verify it empirically with my five senses. See it. Smell it, touch it. That's, that's what is considered uh, true. Nothing can be considered true unless I can empirically test it. That's the belief underneath the doubt. See how doubt is presupposing 
belief is presupposing faith. But here's the interesting question. Okay, Thomas, that's interesting, that that's your belief kind of down there in the subterranean level. Why do you believe that, though? I mean, where did that come from? Because that's certainly a belief, if you kind of pull that out and said, something is only true if you can detect it with your five senses. That is a belief. But where did that come from? In other words, how would you prove that? You can't. It has to be uh, taken on faith. And that's sort of the idea. That's what Leslie Newbigin is talking about, is that this doubt presupposes faith. You, you, you can't, I mean, what measurement would you use to prove that something can only be true if it's empirically uh, tested? Does that make sense? And in fact, if you think about it, that, that statement, that belief can't be true because it can't even swallow its own medicine. I mean, the belief of uh, something is true only if it can be empirically tested cannot itself be empirically tested. Does that make sense? So this is, this is what I want you to see. Science, skepticism, religion, whatever, anything that you believe is always rested upon faith. Always. For example, here's a, here's a typical doubt, a typical objection that I hear uh, a lot of time from students is, um, I can't believe in God because just look at all the suffering in the world. I mean, how can you believe in God if you read the newspaper, right? But, okay, that's the doubt. What's the, what's the belief underneath that? The belief underneath that is this. God wouldn't allow suffering. And the question is, okay, why do you believe that? Like, where did that come from? How, how would you prove that? Because, in fact, the Bible addresses that a lot and, and actually does give reasons for why God does allow suffering in the ways that he does, so, that, so that's the question. I want you to see that underneath any doubt is this idea of faith. And what you, be, what you have to begin to do is to begin to doubt your doubts and pick apart your doubts and see, okay, what is the thing that I'm really believing underneath the doubt? And then you have to ask yourself this question. Does that faith, does that belief make any sense? Can, can, can I, does it have the power to explain my experience? Or in other words, It is inconsistent for us to require more justification of Christian belief than we do for our own. I'll say it again. It is inconsistent to require more justification for Christian belief than it is our own. In other words, once we begin to pick apart our doubts and see what is the thing that we are really believing underneath it, it doesn't make sense rationally to say, well, you as a Christian or this you know, Christian position, you've got to require X, Y, Z amount of evidence in order for me to believe it. But for me to have this belief, I just sort of take it on faith. You're tracking with me. Okay, good. Um, but what, what I want you to see before we move on to the next point is that doubt is not commendable. It's not a good thing. I mean, Jesus looks at Thomas and says, stop doubting and believe. But the thing is, is that within our culture, um, it's just a lot cooler and it feels a lot more intellectually humble to doubt something than it is to believe something, right? I mean, we, we kind of think, yeah, it's kind of uh, cool and humble to feel like, well, I don't know what I believe as opposed to planting my flag in the ground and saying, no, I actually believe this. But I want you to see, um, Jesus rebukes Thomas for doubting. He, he, he is believing something, he's just believing the wrong thing. So that's what doubt is. It is a questioning of one um, belief based off of uh, a deeper held belief, if that makes sense. 
So, okay, what do we make of faith? What is faith? If that's what doubt is, what is faith? Because in the end, if you, you know, follow this story to the end, Thomas believes. He looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God, which is, as far as the New Testament is concerned, the highest description that any human gives in the New Testament about who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. And this is actually how the Bible wants you to see Jesus. I mean, look at verse um, uh, 29. Jesus invites you to believe in that which you have not seen. And then in verse uh, 31, John, who's who's the author of this book, he tells you the reason why he's written this book to begin with is so that you would believe. But okay, Matt. What is be- what is believe what does that mean to believe? Well, um, I think there's two components to faith. There is the act of believing, and then there is the object of what you are believing in. And uh, I- I- let's just look at these one at a time. The act of believing. Here's my um, simple, basic definition of faith. It is confidence that rests upon sufficient evidence. That's what I think faith is. It is confidence which rests upon sufficient evidence. It's kind of like, um, you remember trust falls? Of course, y'all do this like all the time in your dorm room. Trust falls. Um, like, you know, I, I, I stand up and there's a dude behind me who's going to catch me when I fall. And um, uh, I, I'm not going to fall unless I have a lot of reason to think that that dude's going to hold me. And so it's like, okay, I've seen him in the gym. He's lifted 300 pounds before. I've smelled him in the gym. He's lifted 300 pounds. He's strong. He's bigger than me. He's my friend. He's not going to humiliate me. And so that, you know, those are the grounds of which I say, okay, catch me. And uh, I do. It's confidence that rests upon sufficient evidence. But notice I did not say devoid of evidence or uh, the, you know, the absence or the lack of reason or, or rationality. Because this is what I think a lot of people get confused by. They think faith is what happens when you just run out of facts. You know, you you have the facts and you have the reason, you get to this point, and then you sort of take this blind, irrational leap in the dark. And that's what faith is. It's just this irrational jump into darkness. And this is kind of how the culture uh, understands faith. I mean, you've been in the classroom, right, where the professor is is talking to the class and says, okay, y'all, you're free to believe whatever you want. You can do the faith thing and believe in your mythical, weird legends out there but in here we're going to stick to the facts uh you're free to do the faith thing uh on your own time but in here in the classroom we're going to do the facts and that's just this dichotomy uh that in my opinion is just totally incorrect that that faith is never this blind irrational i'm just going to believe something ridiculous uh no it is confidence which rests upon sufficient evidence there's reason for me to believe what i believe That's the act of faith. But really, the emphasis of the Bible is not so much on the act of faith. It is on the object of faith. What you are believing in. That's the question. The Bible just kind of assumes you're believing in something. The real question is, are you believing in the right thing? So here's an illustration that I got from uh, one of my friends, Les Newsom, who's the RUF campus minister at Ole Miss. And uh, here's what he said. He said, there's two guys who are trying to cross this frozen river. And one guy is like, dude, 
I've been here a thousand times. I know the lay of the land. I know how deep the river is. I've done this before. It will hold. And so he steps out and scurries across. And then the second guy is like, whoa, um, this is my first time here. This is a new place. I don't know how deep that is. What if, he, what if he cracked the ice when he went across? I feel really not good about this, but okay, here I go. Step in, and he scurries across. Yes, they scurry. They're, they're raccoons. And um, so they get to the other side, and um, they both make it safely across. Now, if you were to come to them and say, Yay, high five, you did it. And they were like, yay, um, our faith is what did it. Our faith is what got us across. Our faith is what enabled us uh, to, get it across, to get across the, the frozen river. You'd be like, um, no, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with your faith. It had everything to do with the thickness of the ice, <laughs> right? I mean, you had this huge belief, this huge confidence that the ice would hold you, and you had this really weak, shaky confidence that it would, and it held you both. It had nothing to do with your faith, and it had everything to do with the thickness of the ice. Here's the point. Weak faith in a strong Savior saves you. Strong faith in a weak Savior won't. If you have all the faith in the world that I'm going to get across this river and it's you know, this kind of eggshell layer of, of ice on it, it doesn't matter how confident, how much faith you have in it. It's a bad thing to put your faith in. Here's the point. Your faith is not what saves you. The object of your faith, namely Jesus, is what saves you. And that is the question of the Bible is what is it that you are putting your faith in? Because the Bible's claim is that there is only one that will really hold you. There is one that will, own, that will really save you, and that person is Jesus. So let me talk for a second for those of you in the room who do identify yourselves as believers, as Christians. Because we screw this up all the time. We put all of the emphasis, all of the weight on our faith. And so we look at the quality of our faith, and when, when we're believing really well, then we feel really good about ourselves. And when, when our faith is shaky and when we have doubts, uh, then we feel not so good and we feel guilty. But the point is, take your eyes off of your faith and put them on Jesus. Take your eyes off of the completely always moving up and down, uh, unstable quality of your faith and put them on your rock, which is Jesus himself. Because your faith is not what saves you. He is. And what happens is that we get confused and we start putting our faith in our faith, which is terrible because our faith is so shaky. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. Don't put your faith in your faith. Put it in Jesus. But now I want to talk to those of you um, in the room who don't identify yourselves as believers, don't identify yourselves as Christians, because I know that, that this does not answer every single question that you have, and I didn't intend to try to answer every single question you have. Um, but my invitation for you at this point is to continue exploring those questions and to not just stuff them down and maybe let them um, uh, fester or let let them um, create bitterness for you towards the believers, but to actually put them out on the table and to begin to process them. And the way that you can do that is to keep coming back to RUF because what we do every single week is we open up the Bible to try to process hard things about what the Bible is saying in, in a safe context together. Because the Christians will tell you that, that are sitting right next to you is, yeah, I have a hard time with some of the things in the Bible too, but I'm here to try to work through it. So keep coming back to RUF. You can come and talk to me. We can grab coffee. I love doing that, just sitting down and 
um, wrestling with hard issues, you can, you can grab one of your Christian friends and say, hey, I've got this thing, this question, help me, help me out with this. Uh, another thing that you can do on the bottom of this sheet is I just attached a brief little reading list of very easy, accessible, great uh, books that help explore some of these questions a little bit better. So that's what doubt is. That's what faith is. And I know some of you are going, okay, that's somewhat helpful, but at the end of the day, I still don't know what to do to believe. I can't make myself believe. So what I want to do is, is with this last thing is be a little bit more practical and talk about how you can be someone who believes. And I'm talking to uh, those of you in the room who may uh, believe for the first time ever. Or, or for the rest of you who are like, okay, I already have faith in Jesus. I already have this preexistent faith. I, I, hopefully this, some of this practical stuff will help strengthen your faith as well. So this last point is for everybody. And I'll just be honest with you as this last point. I'm taking a lot of it from Tim Keller, who is, um, if you don't know who that is, he's a Presbyterian pastor up in New York City. Um, it was just too good. And, and so if there's something in this last point that is really good, it's because he came up with it, not me. And if there's something that's really confusing and kind of crappy, it's, um, it's because of me. I came up with that part. Um, Four things on how you can be someone who believes. And I'll just work through this quickly. Here's the first thing. Listen to the apostles. Listen to the apostles. If you look at verse 25, the apostles told Thomas that Jesus was risen. Uh, The claim of the apostles was important for Thomas to hear and to believe, and it's important for us to hear and to believe as well. Why? Because these were the chief eyewitnesses, the people who walked with Jesus. We don't get to walk with Jesus. We don't get to see him walking around. All we have is the record of of those witnesses. And that is, in fact, what the New Testament is in a large part. It's just the apostles' collection of their experiences with who Jesus is. That's why the Bible is always grounding you in real history. Here's what I saw. Here's what I witnessed. Here's what happened. Not, hey, believe this crazy random thing. It's... Dude, let me tell you about what I experienced. So how can you listen to the apostles today? Again, I think you can keep coming back to RUF. Because what we do every single week is we open up the Bible to listen to the testimony of the apostles. But really the best way is for you to just read it yourself. If you do not have a Bible and you want one, come and talk to me and I will give you one. It is the best way for you to interact with what the actual claim of the New Testament is, is for you to actually interact with it yourself. So that's the first thing. Listen to the apostles. Here's the second. Look at his patience. Look at Jesus' patience. It's really interesting. Um, Jesus shows up and addresses Thomas in verse 27, and he's like, dude, check out the scars. Here's the the holes. Here's Here's the hole. Check them out. Which is really weird, because if you think about it, when Thomas was saying all of that stuff before, it's like, oh man, I don't believe that. I gotta put my hand in there. I gotta, you know, touch my, you know, put, put my hand up in there, whatever. Um, <laughs> I gotta smell him. I gotta smell him. Um, when he was saying that, remember, Jesus was not present, Jesus was not there. So when Jesus comes back, how did Jesus know that that was Thomas's issue? He wasn't there. Of course, he was there. He had been there all along. And, and here's what I want you to see. He knows about Thomas's doubts. And what does he say? He does not roll up into the room and say, 
Thomas, I heard you talking smack. I'm about to bring the thunder. (laughs) He doesn't say that. What does he say? (laughs) What does he say? He says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you. Which is unbelievably encouraging to me. Because if you think about it, Jesus knows our doubts as well. He knows the questions you have. He knows the issues you have. He knows the, the, the ways that you have broken your promises to him, the way that you doubt him, the way that I doubt him. And, and Jesus doesn't come in with, with you know, a hammer ready to bring the thunder. He comes in saying a word of peace. And so what he does is he looks at your doubts and he looks at me and my doubts and he says, look, I, I love you and I am committed to you and I will never leave you. And you have to see that. You have to look at his patience towards us as we work through some of these issues. So that's the second thing. Here's the, here's the third. Look at his wounds. Look at his wounds. The thing that transformed Thomas from a skeptic into somebody who said, my Lord and my God, was that he looked at Jesus' wounds, the way that Jesus had been killed. Now, if you think about it, um, this is really interesting. Because, let's just say, Jesus died and didn't rise from the dead. Okay? He died but didn't rise from the dead. And he shows up, uh, you know, he just showed up on earth as a great teacher. And he's like, hey, I've got some great teachings. Love your enemy. Seek justice for the poor. Forgive each other. Those are my teachings. Go out and do that. And uh, if that was all that Jesus did and he died, why would Thomas need this kind of post-death resurrection encounter in order to make sense of Christianity? I mean, he had all of the teachings. If everything that he was supposed to do was just live by Jesus' teachings and then teach other people Jesus' teachings, then this whole event is kind of unnecessary. If that was all that Jesus was here to do was just to teach us. But here's the thing. The point, the crucial point about who Jesus is, is not what he taught philosophically, but it is what he did historically. The crucial point about Jesus' life and death and and resurrection was not what he taught philosophically, but what he did historically. If all he did was come to be a great teacher, it would have totally been irrelevant and no one would have cared. And his whole ministry would have died when he did. Let me explain why I'm saying that. When I was uh, younger, I was on a, on a plane with my dad, and we were going somewhere, I don't remember, but I remember sitting in the aisle, uh, I mean the window seat, he was in the aisle seat next to me, and uh, you know they have those um, buttons on your armrest, and one of the buttons was this picture of a stick figure, and I was asking my dad, I was like, you know, what's, what's this button for? And he said, uh, don't push that, when, when you push that, it alerts, it alerts the flight attendant to come over and like, see if you're okay with everything, but, but don't push it. And now what do I want to do more than anything in the world? And, and so we'd be talking and, um, you know, he'd turn his head for a second. I'm like, and he'd turn his head back and, you know, I, I'm, you know it, we'd go back and forth. And at one point when the timing was right and he wasn't looking and the, the desire overcame me, I pushed the button, and, um, uh, which was probably the most stupidest act of rebellion because two seconds later the flight attendant's here it's like totally exposes what I've just done it's like oh sorry and um, <laughs> but you know you know exactly what this is like right I mean have you, have you ever been in a situation where you are about to take out the trash you're thinking to yourself man I, I'm going to take out my trash on my way to school and your roommate says um, hey can you grab the trash on your way out 
and now you don't want to anymore? You know what I mean? Th- this is just how... This is just how the human, art, the human heart operates. It's when you tell it to do something, it wants to do the opposite. That's exactly how our hearts function. And God knows this. God is not stupid enough to send us another teacher that says, hey, go do all this stuff, knowing that we're just not going to care about it. That's the point. Jesus is, the, the, the uh, crucial relevance of Jesus is not in what he taught philosophically, but in what he did historically. But see, people today, they want to do the exact opposite. They say, nah, what he did historically, I think that's been embellished, you know, death and resurrection, that sounds crazy to me, I'm not, I'm not into that. I prefer the teachings of Jesus, uh, loving each other, forgiving each other, seeking justice for the poor. Let's put the emphasis on the teaching and less on the history stuff. And this passage looks at you and says, you could not be more wrong. The emphasis is not in what Jesus taught, but in what Jesus did. Because if you think about it, teaching, just teaching, which is this, is here's all this stuff to do, now go out and do it, put all these principles into you know, place and uh, live a good life. That is all about you, ultimately. It's just me being good, me trying hard, it's just about me, 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 me. The gospel is very different from that. It is not about teaching what you are to do. It is about what he has done and what it looks like to live in light of that. Teaching, which is every other religion, every other philosophy, every other worldview, looks at you and says, here's what you have to do. Go out and do it. Try hard. Be a good person. The gospel looks at you and says, be a good person? You can't be good because you aren't good. Give up on yourself and cling to Jesus because he is your goodness. It is not about what Jesus taught philosophically, but it's what he, he did historically. And when you look at his wounds and you say, okay, this thing can't be about me because I am the problem. I am the reason those wounds are there to begin with. So this thing can't be about me. It is about him. And he was committed to me to do this for me when I completely doubted him. When you see those wounds, his grace begins to melt away your fears where now you have the confidence to begin working through some of these really hard questions knowing that he will not reject you. So, listen to the apostles. Look at his patience. Look at his wounds. And here's the last thing, and I'll end with this. Lose your conditions. Lose your conditions. When I was looking at this, this was really the most interesting thing that, I've, that I saw. I've never noticed it before every time I've read this passage. But Thomas never touches Jesus. You see it? Look at it again. You know, he has all of these conditions. Only if I put my finger in the nail wounds. Only if I put my hand in his side. Only then I'll believe him. Those are my conditions. And so, um, look at the text. Jesus shows up and he says, dude, here I am. Here are the, knoll, here are the holes. You know, feel free to put your hand here. Feel free to put your you know, hand in my side. And what does Thomas do? He goes, my Lord and my God. He never actually does it. Most of the commentators kind of point this out, that he, he, he dropped his conditions in that moment. But of course, we do this all the time. We say, um, I will come to you, Jesus. I will believe in you, Jesus. I will do whatever I need to do if you get me in that relationship. Or if you get me a good job. Or if... Uh, you give me a good grade in this class. If, 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 if. And what I want you to see is that when you do that, you don't really want God. 
You just want the condition. You, that is your real savior. That is the thing that you're really after. God is simply just a means to an end to get that. God, I'll go to church. God, I'll, I will read my Bible every day. I will pray if you just get me X. When you do that, you realize the X is your God. That's what you really want. But for a lot of us, it's, it's not the personal conditions like that. It's the intellectual conditions. We're like, God, I will, I will believe in you if you just resolve this question. If you, you know, if, if you convince me that the Bible is true, if you convince me that miracles exist, if you convince me of X, Y, and Z, then I will believe you and follow you. But again, when you're doing that, you're just saying, God, here are these intellectual hoops I want you to jump through to prove to me that you're worthy of my devotion. And let's just say God did it. Let's say he jumped through the hoops and entertained all of your conditions. At the end of the day, who is the master and who is the puppet just responding to all of your conditions, barking orders at him? Who's the master and who's the servant? God won't do it. He is the king. That is why when Thomas has a real vision of who Jesus is, he enters into submissive mode, which is you are my Lord and my God. We can't put conditions on him when we see that he really is the king. So let me end uh, end with this. Let me leave you with this. How can you be someone who believes? Listen to the apostles. Look at his patience towards you. Look at his wounds for you and lose your conditions. That's your invitation tonight. Pray with me. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us faith. Uh, I pray that you would give us eyes to see that which is true. I pray that you would give us confidence to work through our doubts, uh, knowing that you will not reject us, uh, but that you will receive us. Because uh, you, have showed, you have shown us your wounds. Uh, give us faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.